0: We're continuing a series uh, today that we're calling Roadblocks Moving Forward. We've said that since following Jesus and moving in a direction, it, following Jesus isn't standing still. Have you ever noticed? Like if you're following Jesus and you sense that you're standing still, something has something's come unplugged. Following Jesus implies that we're moving in a direction. So if we're moving in a direction that stands to reason that there's a path we can follow, there's a road we can walk on. And if that's the case, at some point along the way and at some points along the way, we are going to encounter some roadblocks, some roadblocks that slow down our progress that might even result in a little bit of distance between us and Jesus. Sometimes those roadblocks are of our own making. Sometimes they're the fallout of someone else's decisions, but the result is the same. So we're talking about some of the roadblocks that we might encounter as we're following Jesus, as we're trying to be faithful in our following. And so these roadblocks can bring our pursuit of spiritual and emotional health and wholeness and spiritual maturity to a standstill. So whether you're with us uh, in person today or joining us at church online or watching on demand or listening to the podcast, thank you for being with us and sticking with us through this series. We're deep into it now. Our hope is that by digging into some of these topics that we can uh, begin to acknowledge and address some of the roadblocks and ultimately continue to move forward, maybe regain some of our spiritual momentum to keep moving forward as we follow Jesus. For the most part, as we've tackled this series, we're using the format like here's the roadblock, let's talk about what that looks like in our lives, what kind of impact it has on us and our journey with Jesus, and then what will it take to move forward, maybe around this roadblock, to move forward as we walk with Jesus. And we've been referencing Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, the words of the Apostle Paul, where he says, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So far in this series, we've talked about cynicism and trust, (laughs) we've talked about labels and love, overwhelm and clarity, hurry and rest, shame and insecurity in our identity as children of God. And so today, Megan's going to come with our next roadblock.
1: So, cynicism, labels, overwhelm, hurry, shame, and insecurity. These are roadblocks in our lives because they stand between us and walking the path that God has for us. Some will resonate more strongly with you than others. Some roadblocks will require more effort and intentionality to navigate than others. We will probably encounter all of these roadblocks at various points in our lives, so we're learning together how to navigate them in order to continue walking with Jesus. Today I've chosen to share with you a roadblock that I have personally encountered often. This is the one, more than any other, that stops me in my tracks for longer than I care to admit. The one that often takes the most work to remove this is a roadblock that has not only slowed me down in my walk with God and in my relationship with others but has brought me to a complete standstill at times this roadblock has a name and it is fear when we first started the discussion about this series I knew almost immediately that God wanted me to speak to you about fear As Todd said, our team is sharing not because we have come to the place where we have this all figured out, but rather we are sharing from places where we have learned or are in the process of learning what it takes to move forward when we do encounter each of these roadblocks, because we will. Fear is something that I have struggled with for a long time. Throughout my life, fear has held me back, kept me from great things, and crippled me It's a hard pill to swallow when I acknowledge how much I've allowed fear to control and to limit my life. Do you ever look back on a specific point in your life and think, what was wrong with me? That's how I feel when I think about these situations with fear. I'm not sure I can really convey to you the extent that I allowed fear to control me, at least not in my time sharing here, but I can tell you that I have spent years of my life stifling parts of who God made me to be. I'm talking years in the double digits. The insecurity that Todd spoke about last week caused me to be fearful of what would happen if people really got to know the real me. I have a fear of judgment, a fear of rejection, a fear of failure. Looking back now, I can shake my head at the ridiculousness of some of what I held back because I was afraid. But when I was living it, it didn't feel so ridiculous. So let's talk about the roadblock of fear If you ask someone what they are afraid of, you might get an answer from this list of top 10 fears. Heights, flying, spiders, snakes, dogs, needles, thunder and lightning, being alone and unable to escape, germs, or social situations. The National Institute of Mental Health estimates that 12.5% of adults will have what's called a specific phobia at some point in their lives. Specific phobia is an intense, irrational fear of something that poses little to no actual danger. The NIMH goes on to say that although adults with phobias may realize that these fears are irrational, even thinking about facing the feared object or situation brings on severe anxiety symptoms. Nearly all people with specific phobias are aware of their phobia and can overcome them with professional treatment if desired. Our family has a personal example of a phobia and I got permission from my sister-in-law to share a story from her childhood with you. When my husband Josh and I got married, his youngest sister was 12, but I had known their family since she was nine. So her story begins with an irrational fear. Somehow, she had learned about the existence of rabid raccoons. They lived in a two-story house with all the bedrooms on the second floor, and she was fully convinced that a rabid raccoon had the ability to scale the outside of the house, find and open her window, and attack her while she was sleeping. Despite all the logical arguments presented to her about how a rabid raccoon could never accomplish this feat, this fear persisted for a while. Josh's parents helped her find a verse that she could recite to herself when she was afraid at night. The verse is Psalm 56.3, which says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. To this day, when anyone in the family mentions a fear that they have that may be irrational, they will probably be met with the phrase, rabid raccoon. It's an easy reminder to our family that not all fear is justified, and we need to put our trust in God. Phobias are real and can impact us throughout our lives. Maybe you have a phobia or two that you live with, or perhaps you are more like Charlie Brown. Watch this. All right now, what seems to be your trouble? I feel depressed. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Well, as they say on TV, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. I think we better pinpoint your fears. If we can find out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypengeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have alerophasia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. This is fear of the ocean. Or chephorobia, which
0: is the fear of crossing bridges.
1: Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything. That's it! (laughs) Pantophobia, the fear of everything. It's fun to laugh at, but I hope that's not us. In all seriousness, fear is something that we all experience in various forms and at varying levels of intensity. These fears that the National Institute for Mental Health label as specific phobias can be overcome. For the most part, these are not the types of fears we see in Scripture that we are instructed to fear not about. If you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard about the fear of God. The Hebrew word for this type of fear is yura. This is a noun... The thing, the noun that Yurah means is respect and reverence. It's what we are to have for God. Psalm 96, 4-5 says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. In other words, he is worthy of our respect and reverence because he is not a mere idol. He is the creator of all. This type of fear, specifically the fear of God, also is not our focus for today. The Hebrew word for the type of fear that we will be talking about is yare. This word is used as a verb and means to fear or be afraid. It is used in the scriptures 188 times as the word fear and 78 times as the word afraid. So let's talk about yare fear. Fear is not a new concept. In our information overloaded lives, we may be exposed to more of life's harsh realities, and in turn, it might seem like we have more reasons to fear than ever before. Turn on the news or open your news app, and it won't be long before you see something that could cause fear in your heart and mind. We just have more access to what is happening in the world than we ever have before. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us that there is nothing new under the sun. Fear has been around since the very beginning of creation. A couple weeks ago in her sermon about the roadblock of shame, Amanda read to us the verses in Genesis chapter 3 about when sin entered the world and shame was felt by Adam and Eve. Before this, chapter 2 tells us that the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. When Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation of the devil and sinned by disobeying the one commandment that God had given them, everything changed. Chapter 3, verse 7 tells us, At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So their first negative emotion was shame. Before sin entered the human experience, there weren't any negative emotions. Everything was good. Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with their creator, the God of the universe. There was no shame, no sadness, no boredom, no fear. So they experienced shame and immediately made themselves covering to hide. The story continues in verses 8 to 10. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. This word, afraid, is the first use of yah Adam's response to God's question wasn't to say that he was ashamed of his nakedness, although he was. When confronted with the very presence of their Creator, their first feeling was fear. Before this, there had been no fear. They had nothing to fear. They did not fear the bears or the lions. They certainly did not fear their daily walk with God in the garden. They lived with each other and with God without sin. Sin brought fear. God tells us that when when sin entered the world, fear was right on its heels. Fear is not uncommon. It has been a part of the human experience as long as sin has been. Fear is part of the broken human condition. Fear is a strategy of the enemy to stop us. Satan wanted Adam and Eve to be afraid of their creator, the one who had lovingly formed them from the dust and bone, the one who planted a beautiful garden for them to live in, the one who walked with them daily. He wanted them to think that everything good that they had had was gone and they were going to live the rest of their lives separated from an angry God. Yes, their sin had to be punished, Yes, their lives and ours would never be what God had originally intended, yet he did not want them to live in fear. In his mercy, God sacrificed animals to cover their nakedness and shame. He gave them a promise of a Savior who would come for all people. God throughout the rest of scripture spends verse after verse after verse addressing the fear that people lived with in our fallen world. So God's words to people are repeated, fear not do not be afraid. Todd spoke last week about insecurity. He specifically shared about Moses, Joshua, David, and Paul, and how they all had moments where they felt insecure and thus afraid of what was ahead for them. God had to tell these leaders to be strong, take courage, and do not fear. I told you earlier that I've allowed fear to hold me back in life. I've struggled specifically with insecurity, which manifested itself in the fears of rejection and failure. When I've encountered these fears, there have been times where I didn't quickly see the way around. Sometimes I even retreated for a while before I was able to move forward. I'm by no means an expert in overcoming fear, but I've walked a long, hard path to learning how to deal with fear, and I hope that what I've learned can help you with any fear you may struggle with in your life. I've learned how to more quickly recognize fear, and more importantly, how to process it with God's help. Fear can manifest itself in many forms. We've already talked briefly about phobias. It can also look like anxiety and uncertainty. Back in the beginning of the year, Todd presented a series of messages about what to do when the fastened seatbelt sign comes on. He talked about how when we are faced with uncertainty, there is always a fear and in our fear resides a desire. It could be the desire to be loved and accepted, which on the flip side looks like a fear of rejection. It could be the desire to accomplish great things, which when not achieved looks like a fear of failure. But what defines failure or rejection? That depends on what your standard is. Is it a failure if you don't get that promotion? Is it a failure if you never finish that project? Is it rejection if you don't get invited to that event? What is your measuring stick? We are called to run the race of life with endurance. The scriptures don't say that we are to win the race, just to run it to the best of our ability. We fail when we don't try. We fail when we give up. In our society, we want to be the best, to have the best. But Jesus tells us that the first shall be last. Our mission as a church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If we don't do that, we have failed. That is the failure that we should fear. I'm going to tell you a story about a girl named Lily. Lily and her husband were a young couple who were part of a local church. They attended a weekly Bible study that was composed mostly of older, more mature Christians. Lily had only been a Christian since she was 16 and she loved learning from these people as they dug deep into the word each week. One evening, as they were going verse by verse through a passage of scripture, Lily had a thought about what one of the verses could mean. Everyone had been sharing as they went along, so she spoke up and gave her opinion on the verse. One of the men immediately and very sternly told her that what she thought was wrong. He wasn't trying to upset her. He was just correcting what he felt was an error in her thinking. There was no thoughtful insight into how their opinions differed, no opportunity to respond, just a statement that reflected her error. His words were intended to help her learn, but they were not received that way. They hit her hard. Deep in her heart, being told that she was wrong felt like rejection. This was a man she looked up to and admired. Instead of moving on and continuing to be part of the conversation, Lily felt herself shut down. The rejection she felt caused walls to go up. The hurt was so deep that she made a decision as she sat there that day to no longer give her opinions in that setting. Over the next 10 years, Lily did not say anything in the weekly Bible study time unless she was reading a verse. For 10 years, the fear of rejection caused her to be completely shut down and unwilling to even voice her opinion. Fear had a stronghold on her. Does this sound extreme? Perhaps made up? I'm sharing with you today that Lily is me. This is my story. For 10 years, I let fear keep me from voicing my opinions. I have lived this all-consuming kind of fear. So when Todd spoke last week about insecurity, he talked about the whispers of the past. We resign ourselves to live as if those whispers are true. That anything that we do that is less than perfection is failure. This was absolutely where I found myself. My insecurities about myself led me to fear being rejected by those around me. Author Jenny Allen says this about living in fear. We live guarded because we fear someone will use our weaknesses against us. This is exactly how I was living my life. Afraid that if someone saw what I perceived as a weakness of mine, such as not having complete knowledge of the Bible, that they would use that against me, to reject me, to show everyone what a failure I was. Over the next decade, I would gradually learn that who I am in Christ is more important than what others think of me. Our fears and insecurities don't define us. God defines us. Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Proverbs 29:25 says, "'Fearing people is a dangerous trap, "'but trusting in the Lord means safety.'" Even Jesus' disciples who lived and served with him had experiences with fear. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus and the disciples are crossing the sea when a storm blows in. Jesus was sound asleep on the boat while the boat began to take on water, And soon the disciples realized that Jesus wasn't waking up to help with the situation. In verse 38 of Mark chapter 4, it says, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on the cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Fear had set in. They were afraid for their very lives. God's presence with them in the boat wasn't enough for them. They needed action. How often do we feel like we're drowning? Does it ever feel like Jesus is asleep while you're dealing with a scary situation? The story continues in verses 39 and 40. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus' words were all that was needed to calm the storm. Seeing the men that did life with Jesus on a daily basis succumb to fear makes me feel at least a little bit better about my own propensity to fear. I've also learned over the years the importance of using Scripture to combat fear. Here are a few examples of Scripture that I have used in my life. Isaiah 35.4 says, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. Romans chapter 8 verses 38 to 39 says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isaiah 41, 13 to 14 says, "'For I hold you by your right hand, I the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. Though you are a lowly worm, O Jacob, don't be afraid. People of Israel, for I will help you. I am the Lord your Redeemer. I am the Holy One of Israel.' I had to make a choice. I had to choose to lean into the promises of Scripture in order to get through the difficult times. I could have chosen to allow my anxiety to take over. I could have worried the days away. I could have tried to fix it on my own. The best way to combat fear was and is through God's word. Some more verses from Zephaniah 3, verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you, he is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. One who fears is not made perfect in love. And 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When we are living in fear, we are living with our hands tightly closed. We are holding on to what we think our life should be and refusing to let go. Author Eliza Lada asks, could fear be an invitation to trust? If we trust, we have to let go. The psalmist in chapter 91, verse 2 says, This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in him. In life, we are going to be afraid. We can feel the emotion of fear, but we don't have to live in fear of the future. God wants us to put our faith, our trust in him to overcome our fears. Fear is also about control. We want to control the outcome of situations. If we don't do X, Y, and Z, there's nothing for someone to criticize. If our insecurities have us only post the perfect pictures to our social media, then we control what people see. If I turn down the invitation to that event, then I don't have a chance for the plans to get canceled. If I don't speak up, no one's going to tell me that I'm wrong. This is what I lived. There are still times I hold back out of fear, but I've also learned to remember the beauty of pushing through the roadblock of fear to what God has for me on the other side. The process of learning this was not easy. It took time. It took work. But what is on the other side of the roadblock is worth it. Another problem with fear is that it can completely enslave us. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter is addressing the dangers of false teachers in the church, He recounts a list of sins that these false teachers have committed. Then, in verse 19, he gives a little phrase about the dangers of this lifestyle of sin. He says, They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Let me read that again. You are a slave to whatever controls you. I was absolutely a slave to my fear. I let it control my life what I did or did not do, what I said or did not say, how I served, when I served. Are you letting fear control you? Just over a year ago, I was brought into a conversation about this speaking team that Pastor Todd was assembling. It had never crossed my mind, even a little bit, that I might ever be part of a speaking team like this. That's the perfect role for my preacher's kid, degree in religion husband. Not me. Like Moses, I rattled off all the reasons why he surely didn't want to use me. I have a fear of failure. I have a fear of rejection. And God wants me to stand on the stage and teach. Surely Todd has me confused with someone else someone more qualified, someone more outgoing, someone without all these fears. I didn't want to outright say no, since my people pleasing self doesn't like to say no to people. Instead, I walked away from our first meeting saying that maybe, someday, years down the road, I might be able to do some sort of joint presentation with Josh on marriage or parenting, something I would be very comfortable talking about. I certainly wasn't thinking this would happen anytime soon. Remember the story about how I spent a decade not sharing my thoughts? Yeah. But God nudged at my heart. He opened my mouth, and before I knew it, I was asking Josh what he was speaking about in a few weeks. That very night before I fell asleep, I sat in my bed and I typed out 1,000 words on my phone. God gave me the words and they poured out of me. I knew what God wanted me to say. However, I still wasn't thinking that I would be speaking them live. So I suggested to Josh and Todd that I could record on video what I had written so that it could be played as an addition to Josh's message. You know, so it could be heavily edited and all my mistakes could be fixed. When I stood in this very spot to record the words that God had given me, I already knew deep in my heart that God wanted me to speak it live. The peace he gave me was unlike anything I've ever experienced. To borrow a phrase from a friend, I was least likely to succeed. But who am I to tell God no? Not long after completing the recording, I spoke my commitment out loud to a friend and also to Pastor Todd as my accountability to follow through with what God had called me to do. I knew if I said it out loud that I was committed to doing it. We started this morning with the song, No Longer Slaves. I asked Ben to start with that song specifically because it was the first song we sang in worship after I gave that yes. I'm pretty sure I laughed out loud when the song started at how God was showing me beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was to walk in obedience to him. God confirmed to me that I needed to be set free from my fear and give him complete trust. The lyrics say, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And you split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and say, I am a child of God. God split the sea of my insecurity and fear so that I could walk the path of sharing his words with his people. What does letting go of fear look like? The Gospel John tells us It looks like freedom. Chapter 8, verse 32 says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's why I can praise God with my hands lifted high when we sing, I am no longer a slave to fear. Paul reminds the Romans in chapter 8, verse 15, So you have not received a spirit of fear that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. We do not have to live as fearful slaves. I think my stories illustrate how strongly I was held captive by my fear. But your story may be different. Maybe fear doesn't cripple you completely, but maybe you just aren't taking that step that you know you should take out of fear. Are you withholding an apology because you're afraid that it will be met? with unforgiveness, or maybe you're the one that needs to offer forgiveness, but you're afraid that you will be hurt or taken advantage of again. Maybe you know you should share your faith with someone, but you don't want to be labeled as one of those Christians, you know, the ones who actually talk about God in their faith journey, like out loud. I get it. Or maybe you just feel God tugging on your heart, telling you that this Jesus-following thing is what you need, But you're afraid of what that will mean in your family, your workplace, your social media, your friend circle. Are you afraid of following God? Of what life will look like if you commit to following him? He doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to live in his love and peace. He will be with us in the storms. Former football player Tim Tebow says, don't let fear cripple you from making a decision, pursuing a passion, or seizing an opportunity. So what decision, passion, or opportunity is in front of you that fear is blocking you from? I still struggle with letting fear take hold of me. The learning and growth has come in how I handle it. I used to wallow in it, allow it to control me for literal years on end. Thankfully, the Lord is patient with me and keeps working in me, to teach me how to let go, how to move more quickly forward. When God sets you free, he will be with you and continue to remind you that he does not want you to be a slave to sin. Even as recently as a couple months ago, I had a situation where I let fear enslave me again for a few weeks. Due to all those years of insecurity and fear, I found myself in a situation where I thought that someone was mad at me. Instead of confronting the fear right away, I let it sit, I let it fester. I came up with all the crazy, possible negative things that this person was for sure thinking of me. I listed them off to my husband, and even though most of them sounded ridiculous as they were coming out of my mouth, deep in my heart, I still kind of believed them. I was afraid that this person did not find me worthy of their friendship. This is what happens when you overthink fear. I had to get to the point where I could examine the fear in me and decide that the worst-case scenario was that this person would never speak to me again, and that fear was irrational and unfounded. Because of my fear, I, began avoiding, I had begun avoiding this person because I didn't want to confront what I was sure was me going to be me being rejected by them. However, I'm sure this person had zero clue that I was feeling this way. They were going about their life completely unaware that I was steeped in anxiety at the very thought of having to speak to them. God knows that I need him to work on my heart in these situations. So in FCF Youth, we have been doing a study with the teens called Soundtracks. It's about replacing the broken soundtracks in our minds with new ones that are true, helpful, and kind. God used what I was teaching the teens to break through to my heart. One week, I felt God's gentle nudge to replace the broken soundtrack that this person was thinking badly and mad at me with a new soundtrack. I left the teen room with the soundtrack in my head. This person is my friend, and friends have conversations with each other. I had listened as God reminded me that he created me, and what he thinks of me is more important than what anyone else thinks. I told God that I would speak to this person at the next available opportunity. So we came out to join worship, and you'll never guess what the first song we sang was. (laughs) Maybe you will. No Longer Slaves. Again, I laughed at God's goodness in confirming to me that he wants me to be free of the chains of fear in my life. So at my next opportunity, I took courage and approached this person to have a conversation. And guess what happened? We had a conversation. We smiled. We even laughed. After all those weeks of me hiding behind my fear, thinking the worst, they did not express hate toward me, and I felt free. The weight that had tied me down for weeks was immediately gone within the first few words of that conversation. I tell you all of this to show that we are all works in progress. The book of Philippians tells us that God began a good work in us, but it is not yet completed. Maturing in our faith is a process that takes time. Maybe someday down the road, I'll be able to immediately confront a situation like this and clear the air. The important thing is that I'm still working to remove the roadblock of fear and I'm getting better at it. Instead of allowing things to cripple me for years, I was able to resolve it in a few weeks. God is faithful. He does not want us to fear. He wants us to trust in his unfailing love, to feel that freedom of stepping forward in courage and trusting his purpose, his plan, his goodness toward us. It will be messy. It will take time, but it will be worth it. Pastor Craig Rochelle said, What you fear the most often reveals where you trust God the least. For some people, they struggle with fear of God's provision or his care for them. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is talking to the disciples about how God provides and cares for the birds and the flowers. They were clearly worrying about their basic necessities, like what they would eat and wear. So in chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus tells the people, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Maybe this is what you fear, that the situation you're in won't be resolved the way that you want it to, that you won't have what you need when you need it, that the bank will take the house, that the car repair will drain your savings and then some, that the right job will never come. I've learned that most of my fears are rooted in insecurity in not fully understanding my identity and who God made me to be. You probably resonate more with one or the other as well. Do you find that you are more fearful over situations in your life or over matters of your heart? It's something to think about as you learn to process and get past the roadblock of fear. When we encounter the roadblock of fear, what is on the other side that God wants for us as we walk with him? I think there are two distinct areas that fear blocks us from in our walk with God. Fear is a roadblock to courage. The first step of courage is always the hardest. Maybe God is asking you to say yes to something. Maybe he's asking you to say no. Don't let fear hold you captive to what God has for you. You could turn back. You could find an alternate route that's easier and less painful. That's what I did. I retreated from the fear I forged my own path that seemed less scary. It was less painful, yes, but in the long run, I was just delaying my arrival to the place where God was patiently waiting for me to join him and walk alongside. Fear is also a roadblock to intimacy with God and people. If we want intimacy with God and people, we have to be willing to do the work to remove the roadblock of fear. My fear placed a wall between me and God. Like Adam and Eve, I hid because of my fear. I hid from him, and I hid parts of myself from the people I was doing life with. So what will it take for you to move forward? Here's a little flow chart to help you figure out if you should do the thing that God has called you to. On the le- at the top it says, I want to do this, or you could change that to, God wants me to do this. On the left, then do it. On the right but I'm scared. So what do we do? If we're scared, do it scared. God will be with us. As we read earlier in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting in the Lord means safety. You may not feel fearless, but you can be courageous because God is bigger than the fears you hold inside. It's time to be brave. As we close, I challenge you to take an honest look at where fear is holding you back. Where do you lack courage? How have you been enslaved to fear? What could your intimacy with God and others look like if you were just to do it scared? God is bigger than any fear you have. During our worship time, I will be in the prayer space in the back of the room with Josh. If you are struggling with fear, we would love to pray with you or bring a friend to pray with you or come sit in a single seat by yourself and pray god wants to set you free when we come to the roadblock of fear let's choose courage and intimacy with god and those he's put in our lives and move forward let's live out the key verse in this series galatians 5:25 Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for anyone that is struggling right now with fear. I know how strong of a hold fear can have. I have lived it. But I have also come out on the other side to experience the beautiful freedom that you give when we put our trust in you and step out in faith. I pray that you would speak to anyone's hearts that are holding on to fear today. Whether it's fear in a situation and trusting in your provision, or fear that's rooted in not fully understanding our identity in you, we don't want to be like Adam and Eve and hide from you in fear. We want to seek you out and allow you to work in us to remove the roadblock of fear so that we can move forward with courage and intimacy with you and the people that you have put in our lives. Thank you for providing us a way to be right with you through your son Jesus. Break the chains of fear that enslave us. And whatever it is that you're speaking to our hearts about today, help us to do it scared. In Jesus' name, amen.